You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Good to worship Jesus with you today, church. Good to be together today. As always, just expecting great things, expecting God to continue to move in and through your life and the life of this church as we worship him and exalt him and glorify his name. What if I told you there was a global industry worth $97 billion in 2020 alone? that probably all of you have invested in at some point in time in your life or maybe currently investing in right now. And let me add to that, whatever investment you have made was only half of the investment needed to accomplish the goal of why you did it in the first place. Without the other component, you're wasting your investment. So let's add to that astronomical number, really a number that I can't wrap my mind around, right? Once we get past about a million, I'm done trying to figure out how to wrap my mind around that. I don't deal necessarily a whole lot with these types of numbers. So after we deal with that, let's add another projected $465 billion being spent with the same goal as the $97 billion being spent on two separate things. However, one without the other is a complete waste of money. We could be a part of spending the $97 billion and contributing to the global gym and fitness industry. But if we don't do anything with our nutrition by adding our cash to the $465 billion worldwide industry of nutrition, we might as well attempt to ride to New York City on a stationary exercise bike. It's just not going to happen. I don't care what the Peloton screen tells you. You're still in your living room. It's like... I don't know, but I mean, that's nice and all, but I don't feel like I'm in the mountains at all. I remember my first foray into the health and fitness world. I joined the backyard gym, and uh, I worked out in the greenhouse. It was a house that was painted green in the back of our yard. That's why we called it the greenhouse. Not very intelligent necessarily, just what it was. And it wasn't a greenhouse like you made plants in, literally, and it wasn't even a house. It was kind of like a little slab with some wood up on it, and it was painted green with a flat roof, and there was just enough room for my dad's tools and a workout bench that I got. I don't know where we got it from, probably a yard sale or something like that. It had some weights. I thought about bringing it out here, but I didn't want to embarrass myself trying to prove that I could lift something that maybe I couldn't lift because a lot of times I was rolling those things off when I first started. All 25 pounds. I don't know what it was, right? But I remember grabbing that workbench and setting it up, and then I had this plan, and then I, I went to the local GNC store, whatever it was at the time, and I got some, like, powder that I was going to mix, and so I started mixing up all these shakes, and I had raw eggs and bananas and peanut butter and, and this powder that I put in there because I wanted to get myself looking strong like, like Tony Atlas, Some of y'all don't even know Tony Atlas, and that's why you missed out on life, because you didn't watch wrestling when you were a kid. Tony Atlas, you saw his man, you were like, man, that is a body to emulate right there. And so I know it's hard to believe, but I didn't quite get there. Looking at me today, I know you're astounded and shocked by that, but I didn't quite make that Tony Atlas thing happen. But here's the truth of the matter. 
It didn't work necessarily, uh, even though I was trying all these things. But the point being, when it comes to our earthly body, our overall health is most benefited by a both-and approach. Can't do either or. You can't have an either or philosophy, certainly not a neither none mentality, or your body will not function as well as it should. The same goes for our spiritual body. It will not function like it's supposed to. And in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul gives us an exhortation concerning how to have a healthy spiritual body and a both-and approach to church where we are prone to have an either-or and sometimes even a neither-none mentality. So if you have your Bible with you today, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're in a series on Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. We're in, I don't know, I think the fifth week of the series. Last week we were Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Now we're in Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 16. This is the sixth week. So we're going to read this text. Then we're going to unpack it a little bit and see how the Apostle Paul, what is he doing? He's trying to encourage us to be healthy, an effective body of Christ. The the, the body of Christ that Jesus died for us to be, he's going to encourage us to do that. Remember, when you're reading Ephesians, we've gone through this in this series, but I'll recap. The first three chapters deal with who we are in Christ, and the next three chapters deal with what we do because of who we are in Christ. The first three chapters are about doctrine, what we believe, and then the next three chapters, four, five, and six, is about what we do because of what we believe. Our faith in Christ and our actions because of our faith in Christ. That's how Ephesians is divided up. And so last week it was walk worthy of the calling you received in Christ. What's walk worthy mean? It means balancing the scales. So if you're professing, a lot of times the scale is balanced to where we're professing and then the other side of the scale is our practice and it looks a little bit like this. So Paul is saying, balance that out. Walk worthy of the calling. Balance it out to where what you profess is actually what you're practicing. Equal parts talk and do. Equal parts what? Say it and walk it. That's what he's saying. Walk it like you talk it. Yes, Amigos. Okay, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Lord, we pray that your word would change us from the inside out today. 
So last week we saw how Christ took us from segregated to integrated. From segregated as enemies to integrated as spiritual family. And within this new spiritual family, within this new community called the church, all of us have certain graces or attributes in common. And Paul said those, as in the first part of Ephesians 4, are humility, gentleness, or meekness, patience, or long-suffering, and kindness, and love, right? All of these things are given to us by God, by grace, for one main purpose, to protect the unity of the body. That's why they're given to us. Not so that we can put on a magic show somewhere else for somebody else, but so that we can protect the unity of the body. Now get this, they are not specialized gifts. They are normative gifts of grace given to every believer. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm just not a very patient person. I'm just not. Yeah, humility ain't my strong point. I mean, have you looked at me lately? Why why would I be humble? Or, or here's another one we might say. It's like, well, I just tell it like it is. I, I don't have no time for being gentle with people. I just tell it like it is. And here's what Paul's saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. In Christ, you do have these gifts, and by his grace, you possess all of these graces, and you're supposed to operate in them. You can't say you don't have patience. You can't say you're not gentle. You can't say you're not going to use and act this way and be long-suffering and patient. He's saying if you're a believer in the body of Christ, this is who you are. So in the first part of Ephesians, he tells us this is how we're all alike. This is actually how we're supposed to all be alike. We're all supposed to be patient and gentle. We're all supposed to be doing this in love. It's not a a specialized gift. It is a gift of grace given to us by Christ to the body of Christ. Then the next verse, 7 through 16, Paul switches to how we're all unique. Like this is how you're like, gentle, humble, long-suffering, so you can persevere in the unity of the Spirit. But now this is how you're unique. This is how we differ. We're not all the same, praise God, right? We're not all the same people. I know sometimes in my mind, and probably yours too, you're like, man, if everybody were more like me, I'd get along with everybody so much better. But it's not not the diversity and the uniqueness that God designed and actually the sharpening that we get from not being exactly alike. So we all have the same goal, however. And today we're going to look at the gifts given to us by Jesus that are unique. And these gifts are also used to maintain and attain, just like the other gifts, the unity of the body of Christ. Just like the gifts that we all have in common, so that we can protect the unity. These are going to be specialized gifts that each one of you have been given by Christ to protect the unity of the body of Christ. This is where our variety and even our individuality comes out a little bit. Every Christian has been given some sort of spiritual gift that is to be used for unifying and building up the body of Christ. This is different from your natural abilities. Like some of you may be talented or strength, have a strength in this area or maybe you're good with your hands or you're sharp with your mind and all of us have different gifts that are kind of natural abilities. These aren't those. This is a spiritual gift given to you by grace through the Holy Spirit in Christ and it's a God-given ability given to you to serve God and other Christians in a way that glorifies God and builds up the body of Christ called the church that builds up one another in the church, your brothers and sisters. 
See, so many times, so often, we want to use our gifts in other places other than within the body of Christ. Listen, my friends, if you can't do these things with those that you call your brothers and sisters, how in the world are you going to do them with people you call strangers and enemies? A lot of times we like to do it that way because those people don't know us and we want to put on a show as if we're holier than we really are because they don't really know about us. And it's the people in our family, spiritual family, that really know about us and why we need the gifts in the family to help us become more like Christ intended for us to be. One author said it this way, gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. And if they're not used in love, they become weapons to harm with. And I will add, God designed it so that you would discover these gifts through seeking and serving him in his church and by having them confirmed by the leaders within your local church in such a way that it builds up the local church. I remember being at a worship conference a long, long time ago, and I can actually now say that. I'm at the age that I can say a long, long time ago because it was a long time ago. And I was sitting there. I wasn't on the panel of the worship leaders. I was just there kind of observing but there's one young lady, I think she was about 17 years old. I think she even announced that that's how old she was. But we had kind of a Q&A time about worship, and she just raised her hand. She said, you know, I'm 17 years old, and I'm anointed. And when I sing people cry, what do I do about that? Now, just so you know, that's not a way that you really lead out when you're telling people about yourself. Telling other people that you are anointed is not really how it goes. It's something that is seen and felt and maybe confirmed within the body of Christ and the, the leadership around you. Because, you know, I wanted to go, well, are they crying because it's good or are they crying because it's really bad? I don't know. And you don't either. I didn't say that. I wasn't on the panel, thank God, right? But the truth of the matter is, is this is supposed to be confirmed within the body of Christ for the body of Christ. So Paul tells us that Christ is the giver of these gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, he uses the word apportioned, which is literally means according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And what is the measure of Christ's grace upon us? Ephesians 1.8 tells us, lavishness. He doesn't give sparingly. He doesn't give begrudgingly. He gives lavishly. Then in verse 8, Ephesians 4, Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18, which is about God being victorious in battle. That's why in your scripture it probably looks like it's a little bit uh, offset. It's quoting the Old Testament here uh, where God is victorious and Paul is adapting it to Christ's ultimate victory over death and then his subsequent ascension, which now means that he is what? Lord over the church and he is in charge of being the head of the body of Christ and he is the one who gives the these gifts to the church so it can be strengthened from the inside out. He's Lord over all, meaning he has sovereign authority over his church to do what he wills with his church because he knows what's best. So because Jesus says so, so far the point in Ephesians 4 is simply this, every member is a minister. Wait, 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 I thought you were the minister. We're, we're the congregation. Yes, there's some understanding of, of that office we'll talk about, but what we're saying here, what Paul's saying, what Jesus is saying is every member is a minister, given the ministry of reconciliation. That is all of our jobs as ministers of the gospel that changed us from the inside out. Every believer is gifted in some way by Christ with a gift. That's what this verse says. But to each one of us, grace, that's a grace gift, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, which is lavishness. It's exceedingly abundantly more than we can even ask or think. It's riches. This isn't referring to the grace unto salvation. It is referring to a gift of grace. You are uniquely graced with God's gift. 
which from a larger 30,000 foot view means that you are not an accident in the body of Christ. You were put in the body of Christ for a reason. When you received this grace, it was because Christ gave it in a measure suited to his good purposes for you and for his body. Each of us is given grace, not according to the measure of our worth or our merit, like I somehow deserved it more than you did. No, it is according to the measure that Christ decided to give in his own sovereignty and wisdom, and it is lavishly. We owe our diversity and giftedness to the sovereign grace of God. And we are all, all have come from the place of being, receiving this spiritual giftedness so that we could do the will of God. We could do the will of Christ, who's the head of the body. As I said before, why is he the head of the body? Because Jesus knows best what is good for his body. But if we're honest, we oftentimes think that we know what's best for the body. I mean, not in a malicious way. I don't think that oftentimes it's a malicious way that we think we know it's best for the body. It's more in a, just an opinionated, annoying way. Like, I know better as a 15-year-old weighing 115 pounds, six feet tall, soaking wet, how to work out and, and get, have nutrition. That'd be like me informing somebody that really knew a whole lot about it, what I was going to do and how it was going to work. And a lot of times we think we know better than God we think we know better than the, even the gifts that he's placed within the body, how to be and grow and do church as Christ has said to do the church. So here's what we need to know. Not that we're all, we all know everything about it or that we don't know enough. God has given us a gift, that's true, but we're still growing and we expect everybody to, a lot of times in the church, here's the problem, we expect everybody to have the same gifts, do it the same way and to do everything the exact same way. It's like we want this uniformity and that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about unity. There's a lot that God has for us that's unique because of the uniqueness of the ones that make up the body. Now, don't get me wrong. Here's something that we all do. We all serve. Like, we can't say, well, I don't have the gift of serving. Uh, not a gift. It's a call for every believer that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve. You are a servant because you belong to Jesus, who's the servant of all. But just like Jesus now, I think we all understand that he has given us gifts where we minister uniquely in our serving. We all serve, but we minister uniquely according to God's grace given to us. But to our metaphor this morning, this is the exercise part. But it's only part. It's only 97 billion of what you've got to invest. Moving along to verse 11 and 12, let's see the other part. We also see that the church is gifted with people in varied church offices, leader gifts, if you will. This is different from verse 7, where the point was that every believer is gifted by Christ with varied grace gifts, and you can find those all throughout the Word, whether it's in Romans or Ephesians or 1 Corinthians, the gifts of the Spirit, all those things, they're, they're varied grace gifts given to us by grace as Christ gives and the Holy Spirit desires. Here's the point, is that the church is gifted by Christ with people in varied offices, and here's what he says, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. These gifts to the church who are real people are given the calling and responsibility of equipping the saints. That is, all believers. Did you know that you are a saint? I ain't no saint. Yes, you are. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are no longer a sinner, but you are a saint. 
That's who you are. That's what the word says you are. That every New Testament, that's what it says in the New Testament, all believers in the New Testament are saints, meaning they are set apart for God. That's who you are in Christ. Here's what I find interesting. We are all gifted, and at the same time, we're all needy. You are all gifted, but at the same time, you are all needy. We are both and beings. There's no one so gifted that they still don't need equipping. Hello? I don't care how gifted, how anointed, how talented you are, you will always need the body of Christ to be equipped through the church. And Paul is saying, through these specific leader offices in the church, that's how God designed it to happen. So check this out. The word equipping, this is what it usually means. It means fixing something that's broken, repairing something that's broken like a a broken net. You're going to need to repair a broken net if you're going to catch any fish. So that's what equipping means. It means fixing or repairing something that's broken or supplying something that is lacking. The point of verses 11 and 12 is that Christ not only gives various gifts of grace to every one of us who are in the church, believers of the church, but he also gives leaders to the churches whose job it is is to repair what's broken and supply what's lacking in the believers. But in order for that to take place, the people within the body have to recognize their brokenness and their neediness and receive from these gifts given to the church and thank God that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. Amen? See, that's the thing about supplying. I don't know about you, but I don't stay full all the time because I'm human. And so that's why Paul says to be continually filled with the Spirit, to continually be supplied with the riches that he has for us in Christ that he's given to us through these offices. And so here's the thing. As we are being equipped, repaired, fixed, supplied, it is according to Christ's riches. Not, it's not on my talent. It's not on my ability. It's not on somebody else's ability, so to speak, in the church as if it is our own. It's on Christ's supernatural abilities that he works through us. Think about how significant this is for the health and the unity of the church. Because oftentimes we want the supply without the service of the leader gifts speaking into our life. But scripture says that's not possible. See, each of you is personally gifted by Christ with various gifts of grace. I keep saying that because you're like, I don't know about me. Nope, you are. There is no one that God leaves out when it comes to his children. Each of you personally gifted by grace with a gift of grace and yet not so perfectly that you're not still in need of ongoing fixing, repairing, and supplying by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And when I say apostles, I'm not talking about capital A apostles. I'm talking about little a apostolic, which means the authority, the divine authority, which primarily comes through the word of God. But there's that apostolic ministry, that word of God, that a divinely appointed representative encourages us with that. Or the evangelistic training or encouragement that we need that you can share your testimony. You can share with somebody what God's doing in your life. You can share your story. You can pray for that person together and do what God's called you to do. Or maybe it's the prophetic encouragement. Or maybe it's the pastoral nurture and care and protection or correction or maybe it's human teachers to help make the scripture more understandable and also help us to apply the Bible to our daily lives. This is what those offices are meant to do. 
And this text makes it very clear that all of you, if you belong to Jesus, are gifted with a measure of grace, and all of you in some measure are still lacking the improvement of more grace. I'm not done. God's not done doing all that he's going to do in me. Verse 7 and 8 proves that you are vitally needed by the church. If you didn't know that, I want you to know that today. Verse 7 and 8, he's saying because of what Christ has done in your life, he's gifted you and you are vitally needed in the church. And verse 11 and 12 proves that you vitally still need the church. You're needed by the church and you still need the church. It's both and you need it by the church. You need the church. It's always both, just like it's always exercise and nutrition, if we go with that metaphor. This is the nutrition part. Obviously, if it's neither none, then we're not truly believers. If I don't need either, then you're not, well, okay, well, then we, you just don't belong to Christ. But I do think as believers, we can oftentimes fall into the trap of being either or. Watch what I mean. We try to exercise our gifts and do whatever we want to do, I'll say I, I do whatever I want to do, how I want to do it, and I never listen to or allow the offices of gifts given to the church to supply, fix, or repair me. Or, let's just keep it on this one, it would be like exercising an hour of day and going on a little Debbie diet. Yeah, not going to be very effective, just in case you were wondering. On the other hand, we can often treat the church like a spiritual buffet where we just eat and get equipped with all the healthy food the church can give. We come on Sunday, we worship, we listen to the preaching, we might go to a connect group, but I never discover and exercise and use the gifts given to me by God through Jesus Christ to help build up the body and maintain the unity of that body. This is nutrition without exercise. Taking it all in on Sundays, the podcast, the worship playlist, reading my books, doing my devotionals, feeling very individualistically holy, but never serving the body how God has uniquely called me to serve the body. Therefore, not being equipped by the body as I'm supposed to be equipped. This is why, church, we grow weak spiritually. This is why we end up being knowledgeable critics instead of knowledgeable servants. Knowledgeable in a way that says I know everything so I can criticize instead of knowledgeable in a way that says, compared to God, I know nothing, and I'm here to serve his body. I'm here to learn. I'm here to be equipped, and I'm here to give whatever God has put in me to give. Verse 12 goes on to say that the leaders equip the saints for a specific purpose, namely for the works of service or the work of ministry in some translations. The fixing of what is broken and the supplying of what is lacking in the saints is not an end of itself. The leaders don't stop and say, okay, good, now we fixed and supplied the saints, we fed the fam, our work is done here, I'm out. No, fixing and supplying are meant to make the saints into servants or ministers to where we exercise our gifts, all of us, both inside and outside the church, then we don't, here's why, we don't get so puffed up or think we don't need each other. That we've got to have it all figured out because we don't. And we keep doing this over and over and over again, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, until I die or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. This is how the church is supposed to operate. This is why every member of the body of Christ is a minister. You don't have to have a card to tell you that you are a minister of reconciliation. The Bible tells you that. 
I hope you draw some comfort like I do from the fact that Paul's vision of the body of Christ is that it still needs a lot of work done on it and it's going to continue to need a lot of work done on it until he returns. I mean, I draw comfort from that. If we were supposed to be perfect by now, I'm going to be pretty depressed. The church is imperfect and you are, if you're looking for the perfect church, remember this, once you get there, it won't be perfect anymore. It wasn't before, but I'm just telling you. You can add some imperfection to it yourself. That's how we have to view the fact that it's not perfected yet, but it is being perfected. Here's what God's doing. The maturing church starts with people becoming believers, receiving grace in their own giftings according to the measure of Christ, verse 7 says. Then all the saints come together in one big spiritual family, still being humbly needy enough to avail themselves to the leaders God has given to them through the church in order to equip them for ministry. It is in this shared giftedness, this spiritual nutrition and exercise that we see the imperfect church being perfected until it's actually perfected when Christ returns. Let's go a little deeper with just a few more minutes that we have left. Verse 12, who is this ministry for? Like I said, a lot of times we think about being gifted for somebody else. I want to be gifted for other people so they can tell me how amazing that I am. No, here's what this ministry is for, to equip his people for works of service or ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. So in spite of the fact that all the saints are gifted with grace directly from Christ himself, we all need the ministry of the saints to build us up. And not only that, we need the leader saints to fix us and supply us in ways that help us to walk worthy of the calling we've all been given as ministers. So in this specific case, what is the ministry? It's the ministry of you to one another. The saints to the saints. It's listening. It's praying. It's encouraging. It's helping. It's giving. It's all of the things that we can find that God gives us by his spirit that we're to do with one another. This kind of leads us to answering the question, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to do church? Because to do church is so much more than just showing up on Sunday and checking it off a list or getting my praise on for 20 minutes. Verse 12 summarizes, it says, so that the body, what's the ministry, what's it for? So that the body of Christ may be built up. First of all, it's not exactly building up the individual, although that's biblical and needed, but this is something different. Here, the ministry that Paul's talking about, the ministry of the saints, that all these gifts are helping to build us up and to equip us to do is something that's aimed at building up the body of Christ. Paul is focusing on the entire body with the goal of strengthening the whole, not just the individual parts. Here's the problem, though. Because we are bent towards individualism, this is just not easy for us to comprehend. Say, well, God, what are you going to do in my life? God, how are you going to help me? And he's going to, but Paul is saying the aim of your ministry as a Christian, and all, you, all of you have one, is to build up the body of Christ as a whole. What does that look like, you might ask? What is the target that we're aiming for? Verse 13 through 15 tells us. Let's start with verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know what that tells me? It's going to be a minute. This is going to take a while. I mean, read that over and over again and just see. It's like, well, we ain't there yet. No, no, we're not, we're not fully unified. No, we're certainly not the fullness of Christ right now on the earth. Man, there's going to be a minute. It's going to be like when you walk into the doctor's office and every chair there is full in the waiting room. 
And that's just the first waiting room before they take you back to the secondary waiting room. And what kind of witchcraft is this these doctors are pulling? We know where we're going. We're going to go wait some more. You just moved me. It's kind of like when I take Zano to the barber and there's all his chairs are full. And nobody's cutting any hair. They're just talking about what the Lakers did last night. Like, I mean, are we going to cut hair or are we going to talk about basketball? I mean, we can do both, but can we do the, the cutting a little bit more than the talking? Nope, not here. You know what this tells me? That God, although it's going to be a while, that we have to be patient and we have to walk into this waiting room, if you will, and allow God to do his work in our hearts and lives. And that means building each other up. No matter how long it takes, we build up the body today. That's ministering to one another in such a way that it reinforces what? Our unity in the faith. It helps us to hold on. It helps us to be strengthened. It says don't give up. It says continue to believe what you've always believed. Continue to believe what you believe about God. Continue to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's building one another up to hold on to the faith. And it's also helping us to know the knowledge of the Son of God. It's sound doctrine about what we believe because it affects how we behave. And it's also to knowing what we know about Jesus and then also experiencing Jesus at the same time to help one another do that. It's not that just that I know him, but that I experience him. And it's not just that I experience him, but I also know him. We're helping each other to do that. That can look like all kinds of things. And in order that we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we do this together. Again, the purpose is to build up the body so we can look more like Jesus. I don't, hear, I don't look good unless you look good. And you don't look good. I don't care how long you spent this morning. You don't look good unless I look good. We don't look good unless we all look good together. And that's why we have to work at building one another up. Here's the holy goal. Not the holy grail, the holy goal. Corporate Christ-likeness is the goal. That we would look like Christ. The aim of ministry of the members is not just that individually I would be built up, but that the body around me takes on the personality of Jesus. A strength like Jesus, a love like Jesus, a spirit like Jesus. Oftentimes, as Americans, we're more concerned with our personal individual fulfillment and satisfaction, and we oftentimes don't give thought about other people. So the idea of devoting our lives and ministries and gifts and all that we have to building up a body of Christ that as a whole looks more like Jesus, as a whole has strong faith, as a whole has unified knowledge and experience of Christ, as a whole has all of these things and looks and acts like the mature man Jesus, is very difficult to wrap our minds around. The church is his body, and we serve a Jesus who is fully mature. But then we as the body are not fully mature yet. So the aim of ministry is a corporate likeness to Christ, a kind of corporate personality that is like Jesus. And the question is, is do we care? Do we care enough about one another that when we don't look like Jesus corporately, we're able to exercise our gifts in such a way to help each other look more like Jesus? The more beautiful you look, the more beautiful we look. Verse 14 takes us a little further. 
I liken this to the strength and healthy body that's less prone to having sickness and breaking apart, if you will. If you do this, what Paul's saying, if you do this, you'll be a, a healthy body and you won't fall apart. On the negative, if you don't do this, this is what could happen to you. But he's saying, if you are being equipped by the body of Christ and then also ministering to one another, then you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Without being built up in the body and building up the body, you're prone to being infantile is what he's saying. This takes on all kinds of looks. We're tossed by what the politicians say. We're moved by every wave of every news report. We're blown here and there by bad teaching that makes me feel good but makes a mockery of the Bible. I'm honestly shocked by the things that people believe. But I'm even more shocked by the things that people in the church believe. Christians. And this is, why, this is why we need your gifts and the office gifts, building each other up, protecting one another, guarding one another, helping one another, so we don't believe every confusing, fear-mongering, status quo-keeping ideology that gets thrown our way every single moment. Discernment is desperately needed, and Scripture teaches this, that it comes from the, in the form of the collective knowledge, faith, and Christ-likeness of the body of Christ called the church. Some people say, oh, I just need more discernment. You know where you find more of that discernment? Within the body of Christ. I remember when I was a little kid getting caught. We had gone to the beach. I think it was like St. Simon's or Jekyll or one of those probably. And uh, I was out in the waves and all of a sudden a wave just, because I looked at this and it's like, it just says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Waves of what? But if you ever had a wave hit you, it'll knock you down. And then it just goes out and you think you can get back. In this case, when I was younger, and I wasn't like a little, I was probably just 10, 11, something like that. This wave hit me and knocked me down and I couldn't get back up. Because by the time I tried to get back up, another wave hit me and pushed me down again. And another wave hit me and pushed me down again. I thought it was over because all I was doing was inhaling, you know, shells at that point. I don't even know how I got up. But the reality is, is most of the time we don't get up unless the body of Christ is there to help pick us up. And all of a sudden we find ourselves believing something that we never thought we'd believe. Doing something we never thought we'd do. Because that wave knocked us down, kept us down. Because we thought all of a sudden that the body and the gifts given to me and to the church were no longer beneficial for me. See, without being built up in the body and building up the body, you're prone to this. So let's go back to our body analogy. At the end of the day, all kinds of fads are going to come and go. Like you can get a 12-pack and just sit on your couch all day. Nope, not going to happen. You could take this pill and sit on your couch and look like Brad Pitt when you're 57. Because he's 57 right now. If you want to look like him, you don't have to look like him. I mean, if you're a lady, you probably don't want to look like Brad Pitt at age 57. But you could be gifted, and you could try to do life apart from the church, but that's a fad diet that never works. And you could be in the church and never allow the gifts of the leaders to fix and supply what you need in your life to be equipped, and that's as effective as a nutritious diet and staying in bed all day. 
Paul is saying if you don't serve the body with your gifts that he's given to you by grace in Christ and you don't allow the leaders of your body that's been given to you by grace to equip you and then you don't use what you've been equipped with to build up the body, then you can count on being a spiritual baby for the rest of your life. So let's close with the last couple of verses and I'm done. Verse 15, this is the how. Instead, speak the truth in love. Now we've all heard this verse. You probably all heard this verse. I misinterpreted this verse, misrepresented this verse, probably misunderstood it. I've done it, I'm sure. To mean as long as you lovingly do it, you speak the hard truth to people. Like, hear the cold hard facts. I love you, but you're an idiot. You know, that, that's, that's kind of how we, well, I said I love you. I mean, didn't I, I, I told you, I said I love you. That, okay, first of all, that has absolutely nothing to do with how you do what this scripture says. Zero. There are ways that we speak the truth to people in love. But here's what I want you to understand about this speaking the truth. It means speaking the truth about God and the truth about his son, Jesus. Speaking the truth about God and the son, Jesus, in love and about the gospel, in other words. That's what this means. Biblical truth, spiritual truth, truth about life as God sees life according to his word. That's how we minister to the body, by speaking the truth about God and about Christ in love. Both are crucial. Oftentimes we think we're just going to be raw and rude and say we love somebody in the body of Christ, and that's speaking the truth in love. No, it's speaking the truth about who God is and who Jesus is and who he says you are because that's the most loving thing that we could do. It's to tell the truth about Jesus to one another. It's the most loving thing we could do. Then we get to the last verse and it just emphasizes how much we need one another. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Man, I can't wait to see all of you do your work. Your part. And I've seen a lot of it. But I'm going to see more of it. There's more to see. There's more to do. There's more to be. The building up in love is done together. We must connect beyond the Sunday morning time. We must serve together, yes, help each other, pray for each other, minister to each other, care about one another. And if God designed the church to function like a body with every member ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit to other members in regular interpersonal relationship, then is it any wonder that when we neglect this kind of regular interpersonal spiritual ministry, the body is crippled and weak and sick? We're tossed. We're blown here and there. We're discouraged. We're deceived. We're confused. We're not one. We're not unified in the spirit. So the most important thing to say about these relationships interpersonally in the church, the body, is that it happens supernaturally from Christ. That's what this whole thing is. From Christ, he's gifted us to do this. Christ is the one building the church, not Brent. Christ is. Jesus Christ, who lived once, died once, then he rose again, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the God the Father, and is Lord over all, just as he promised. He is building his church as Lord over all. And he's not passive, and he's not distant. He's living, dynamic, active, and he's the head of the body. He's the supplier and the guide by his Holy Spirit. The question is, is will we receive the supply that he's given through one another and through the gifts of the church? 
Will we expect it? Will we receive it? Will we give it to one another? Because Christ is the living source. So that the whole body causes the growth of the body. And the whole body causes the growth of the body. That's interesting. And each individual part's working properly. It means that all the members have gifts, individual gifts and office leader gifts. And all those gifts are to be used in building up the body in love. And this is how Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient, abundant-supplying, supernatural head of the body, builds up and cares for his church. He's going to do it through us, to us. And I just believe that God has so many amazing things that he wants to continue to do. See, isn't it interesting that we think, well, you know, he's building us up. He's equipping us to go out and do things for other people so that they can see Jesus. That's part of it. But there's a, another component that we forget that actually the Bible probably teaches even as much or more. And that is, as we minister to one another and as we love one another in a way that is perplexing, doesn't make sense, people are astonished and in awe of what Christ is doing in us because of the ministering that's going on between us and the gifts that are flowing through us and to one another that they want to be a part of that family that Jesus is drawing them towards. I'm praying that God would continue to make us that body that we're supposed to be so that we can be beautiful together because if you want to look good, I got to look good. And if I want to look good, you've got to look good. It's really just the beauty of the body of Christ, the beautiful community that he's called us to be. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.